We are the Knights of Awakening. So long as I draw breath in this life, I promise to serve this world responsibly with empathy, compassion, and grace. I have faith that what I am doing is right and just. I bring hope to every life that I touch through inspired and empowered involvement. When called to action, I will employ courage in the face of adversity and always stand up for what is right. Being patient, find peace and insight in my trials. I will keep in mind that justice can bring terrible consequences for all involved and that I also must employ mercy when I can. I will be generous to my brothers, sisters, and strangers for they are my family. I, I strive to always be noble and respectful in all of my interactions in the world. Welcome, everyone, to the Knights of Awakening. I am Charles with my co-host today, Justin. Say hi to everyone, Justin. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, last year, next week, I'm here. This is this is kind of a, a eventous moment. I don't know if that's a word, but it's a bit of a, a bit of an event. The first time Justin and I started doing these group shows together, where we were doing the whole uh, teamwork episodes instead of just doing our own individual stuff, which we've been doing for years, was Halloween of last year. And I don't know if you all noticed, but it's right around the corner. So this was the this was really kind of the start, the uh, anniversary of part of the reboot of the KOA, because we realized after that episode, let's face it, the group episodes are that much better. They are more dynamic. They are more fun for us to do, for certain. Like, I don't know about you, Justin, but I, I, I like to be able to play off of someone in this. People would think that it'd be easier, too. And it's not, actually. It's actually harder to bounce off of people. But it is easy when you find the right partner. And for me, it's only happened twice in 12 years I've been doing this. I was able to do good, really good shows with David. Him and I had a good chemistry. And then now with you. And I've tried with, and I probably shouldn't have said that, but if you've done shows with me, I'm not saying you were bad. I'm just saying it's easy to do shows with Charles versus other people. Sometimes I have to kind of get myself in the mood. I have to kind of get ready. I have to change my my uh, way of thinking. And with Charles and David, um, I never had to. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a lot more fun for me because then, especially when I'm when I'm doing a show with you or, with, or like I said, with David back in the day, I can be myself. I don't have to worry about anything else. I just got to be me and act like I'm talking to you, which I do talk to you a lot more than people realize, I think. Yeah, that's no doubt. So Justin and I have probably spent a combined total of 18,000 hours on the phone with each other per year. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it feels like per month, but I know the math doesn't add up for that. Uh, depending on what we're going through, where we're at in our lives, and what all else is happening in the communities we're in, uh, th- this is this is my 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 venting buddy. This is the guy I call up whenever the crap hits the fan, and I need someone to help me find center because he's pretty good at that. And, and I like to think that the vice versa happens in that. That uh, you know, oh yeah, for sure, can, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Whenever, whenever we have our, whenever we have what I call our classic Peter Pan moment, uh, for those that don't know, 
long the long and short of that was uh we were discussing the values of right action and the Jedi path and this was years ago and he had just one of his one of his daughters who I think is now just graduated was just born at that point and or was very young and I said well, what would you do if this guy was you know sneaking into your daughter's window and was going to take her to this uh this fairy tale place and make her a mommy and he he looks at me and goes well my jedi compassion would not be my first weapon of choice and i'm thankful that elves are immortal so that i can't kill him and that is actually kind of a good springboard for what we're going to be talking about today so this is a good halloween episode cuz it's dealing with something spooky well it's spooky if you don't understand what the topic is, but it's also dealing with the morality of it, and that's curse work. And we want to come at this from a nightly perspective. And that is something I've wanted to do a bit more. Um, you'll notice that the Labyrinth is not putting new shows out, and it won't be. Any show that has to do with mysticism is going to fall under the normal KOA heading, and it's going to fall under the heading of what does a mystic knight see as this? How do we as mystics and knights deal with this? From how to do it to whether or not to do it. Because quite frankly, I have no passion for teaching people how to do stuff that I would not want them to do. So you'll find it odd. You'd think the first thing I wouldn't want someone to do is a curse. Well, we've got to define curses first. And I want to get your view of what a curse is first, Justin. I come from a more metaphysical point of view on this. And it starts with, Simple things like, wow, that, that kind of color I see in your face usually happens when people have cancer or people who are going to get cancer, right? Um, I hope simple things like I hope you pop a tire. I hope someone breaks into your house or very simple things. A curse can be simple like that. It's being, not being impeccable with your word. You know, we, we curses and blessings are the most simplest things that we do on this earth, we use our voice inappropriately or appropriately. Curses are the opposite of blessings from my point of view. So this would fall even into um, a term that I use, what I call, and I, thank you for bringing up that up because that brings up something that I hadn't even thought to because we always uh, want to take this to the extreme, but you're hitting on, on the simplest method of it, and that's something that I don't think was hit on by anyone else in the recent discussions that kind of started this. And that's what we call the uh, off-handed curse or the simple, or the, uh, the simple curse. Uh, this kind of started with a topic from one of our hosts, Alethea, who posted the question and really, I should say she posted the essay, uh, cause it wasn't as much a question as it was an essay of whether or not Jedi should be able to curse, should be able to cast curses be able to use curse work and of course that everyone focused on you know things like jar spells or long-term curses but i love the fact that in the argument of the definition of what a curse was justin has hit on the on the key point that even i didn't think to which is that a curse can simply be a curse of will a curse of thought that can have a ramification with a minor amount of energy you know it doesn't take a lot to put a simple curse on someone if you're already overflowing with energy, already overflowing with that universal 
something, be it, call it the flow, the force, call it the Holy Spirit, the divine essence, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think all of those words are synonyms for each other, but I think yeah. for our purposes of a curse, they work. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I have to start there because the, one of the pinnacle things for a knight is, you know, your word, your truth, the, you, you, you speak the truth. Um, but just because you have the right or just because you should, you can doesn't mean you should always say, Things that are hurtful. Those, those by and far, the simple things do the most harm every single day to people, right? These are the things that hurt the most. These long, these long-term curses and death curses and all these other stuff we'll get into, um, cause I know the article mentioned them. But for me, it actually starts much earlier than that. We have to be impeccable with our word as knights. We took on this burden and it's hard. But it is necessary because that's where you do the most damage to people. Think about think about all the abusive people, or the people that you know, Charles, personally, and all of you out there listening. Think of those in your life who who have been abused emotionally, right? Those are almost always started with words or people talking crap or people making degrading comments, and and it starts very very simply. But those do the most damage. I like that. That's a, that's a good starting point. So what we can say is then a curse is any hostile action that has some power behind it, whether it's power due to your influence in that person's life. You know, you make them think about how bad they must be that you would wish upon them ill, or be it that it has enough power from that flow, that universal force, that something that is moving through you, that it does start to manifest, even though it's an off-handed curse, a literal, you know, a barely, a barely empowered and yet with all the power it needs to happen. So with that, then the question comes, cause that's, that's the simple level. And let's, let me let's make, make it very clear. We let, can, we can expand that upward to. Well, let me make a distinction here. It, it's, it's almost like the difference between getting shot with a bulletproof vest on and getting stabbed with a bulletproof vest on. It doesn't require a lot of force to penetrate that vest. It just requires slow, small movements to get in there. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, that's, I like that. Yeah. I like that. And a lot of times the protections that we put up for those, for those bigger movements, for those shotgun movements won't work against the slow, small movements. And that's where we get into things like ritual work. It is something slow and it is small. And in a lot of ways, a lot of our wording for a lot of people, not all, everybody's at different skill levels, but a lot of people are worded from simple curses and not from the bigger stuff. And the bigger stuff is slower. It's a knife. A knife is a lot bigger than a bullet most of the time. Unless, unless you've got Justin's revolver, you know, the, the, cla- the, the, the mystical weapon which has bullets the size of, of machetes flying out of it. Um, but no mortal man can wield this weapon. So, my humor aside on this, realistically, you know, the bigger curses, the slower moving ones, the knife is the perfect analogy for that. They're slower, they're bigger, and in a lot of ways, they have better penetrating ability because they're a steady movement. So the question that I've got here is, how do we separate a curse from other mystical actions, and should we, from a moral standpoint, be separating the idea of a curse from any other form of mystical attack. 
Now, I'm going to start out on this, but I do want to get your view on this, Justin. My thoughts are this. A hostile action is a hostile action is a hostile action. Be it a hostile action that causes bleed out, the equivalent of stabbing someone, or a hostile action that just, you know, bloodies them up for a few days, like hitting someone with a stick. Well, at the end of the day, they're both bad, and they're both designed to do something. Whether or not it's a poison, or a blade, or a stick, the application of hostility to me is still the same category. And I know in Alethea's article that she just makes the distinction of a curse as this idea of a method that persists long-term, even if it has conditions that allow it to end, it persists long-term and is reciprocating. And her and I discussed this a little bit at length, that she does not see a direct metaphysical strike, a one-time hit that causes injury, illness, or what have you as a curse. My thoughts are, and this comes from being in the bigger mystical community, the pagan communities, the magic-working communities, the esoteric communities, the way we define it in those communities, any hostile action is a curse. My question is for you, Justin, because I've already said I don't think we should separate these two. Would you think that the separation of these two for the purpose of reviewing them morally is important, or is it a non-distinction, the same way as we wouldn't distinct, make a distinction between bludgeoning and slashing weapons as to whether or not you assaulted someone? As far as the 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 big curses versus the little curses, or the long-term ones versus the short-term ones? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no distinction. I mean, an assault is an assault, right? I, I our, agree with you. Our job, is to, our job is to try and alleviate suffering, not to create it. I, I so, totally so, agree. So, so, so just a little bit of suffering, you're still causing suffering. And sometimes it's unavoidable. I know. I, but when we weigh these actions, we weigh them not by, not by what the actions are a lot of times, but what are those consequences of these actions. Whether the action is small or little, it's going to have some sort of consequences. Um, we, uh, there was a con, there was a conversation and you and I still need to get this show together for some of those gray Jedi folks. Gray with an A versus gray with an E versus whatever, whatever. Uh, how there seems to be some kind of moral, spiritual, moral disconnect where they're allowed to do things because I'm a gray with an A or I'm a gray with an E and it it doesn't matter. Causing suffering is causing suffering is causing suffering is causing suffering. Yeah. Exactly. And this is why I use the weapons comparison. So, I'm going to get to the weapons in a minute. The weapons comparison. Actually, no, I'm going to get to it right now. I'm going to get to it right now because then the next question is going to is hit on this further. So, I believe that the statement, so as below, so as above, and so as above, so as below is a way of also understanding morality in the world. The mystical world is a world without a police force. It is also a world without the repercussion of necessarily someone doing something about it unless you, I, or someone else chooses to enforce a concept of morality upon it. So if you hurt someone in mysticism with an action, it would be like a world without police if you went and walked up to someone and clubbed them the only repercussion is what your fellow men, your fellow mystics, would visit 
upon you for that action. When I say fellow men, I, I mean fellow humans, fellows in humanity. Within that mode, within that model, th- without the restraints of a police force, without the restraints of laws, which are not always just and are not always unjust, I want to make that very clear. I'm not saying the law is always wrong, and I'm not saying it's always right. I'm saying the law is the system that works a good portion of the time and not all the time. But in such a system where there is no law, the only way to stop people who are swinging a stick at each other is to swing a stick at them. The only way to stop someone who's trying to stab you or is trying to stab other people is to stab them also. So I want to hit that right now. The reason I make this comparison weapon to we- weapons to mysticism is because the differences are very minute, if not non-existent. We, we like to think of it from a point of view of, well, in the physical realm, we have laws, we have police, we have all these things. And if we have that in the spiritual realm, that's, that would be great, but we really don't. Gods and goddesses, angels and demons, None of these things really care enough to stop us from hurting each other. Because if they did, curses wouldn't work at all. Instead, curses work phenomenally well, which almost implies that these higher powers kind of enjoy us knocking each other around. For them, I guess, it's like watching a boxing match. Uh, and I guess from the long point of view of reincarnation, any any action to them is like a boxing match. They know it's going to be okay later. But we have a more limited viewpoint, and therefore our morality is centered on the here and now. But I wanted to hit on that. There's a reason I'm making the comparison between physical weapons. And that brings us to the questions, what does it mean to be knightly as a mystic? Now, I don't count this enough for you, Justin, because I know it, but I also know it's not the view the world has of you. But you are one of the best mystics and knights that I know. You are up there on the power scale, as I like to say, you raw will and brute force mystical application in the same way that I do. It's why we have such interesting conversations in private about how to deal with things that often end in statements like, well, why wouldn't you just amplify your will? Whereas other people are like, well, I'm going to go, you know, draw this, you know, 500 foot sigil in order to deal with this. And we're just like, well, yeah, you could do that or you could, you know, focus. So I'm going to ask you. Have you tried trying harder? <laughs> have you tried doing it? No, that's the one you always say, have they tried just doing it? So, you as the preeminent mystic and knight that I know to be able to answer this, what does it mean to you to be knightly as a mystic? You know, what, what, do, what, what does that mean? Well, as far as my values and my moral structure is not any different. They, they've been married a long time ago. So the first thing I would say if somebody was asking me to perform a curse and whether or not I had some skin in the game or not, the first thing that comes to mind for me is one of our axioms of light. When it is time to exert force, we must take care not to deviate from the path of virtue and righteousness. We must act with responsible conduct, even in battle. For we are then no different than the darkness we seek to arrest. That's an axiom that follows me around in every aspect of my being. Mystically, metaphysically, spiritually, physically, mentally. 
we start off with under with the understanding that we should only ever do what is necessary only use the force that is needed every action that we take must be with the intention of doing the right thing as i as i've become fond of saying seek justice but love only mercy or else you going to turn into the thing you're trying to curse or the thing that somebody else is trying to curse that's where i start off with when i have some sort of moral dilemma put in front of me especially with curse work curse works because if someone's coming to me and they have in the past it's hey this person slapped my kid or this person's being abusive or um you know i have the the i have an interesting perspective uh, from the physical world as well where i've worked in a, in um security and law enforcement for 20 years of my life the last 20 years so I've been faced with this where I, I've wanted to physically put my hands on somebody. I wanted to curse them with uh, with uh, my left and my right. I wanted to curse them. I wanted to bite their face off. Oh, the I greater to, invocation of the uh, greater bludgeoning. Yes. Ex- exactly. I, I I wanted to turn that that metaphysical curse into a physical action. So, however, I have I've said this before. I'll say it a thousand times. Being a knight is taking on a greater responsibility. You don't get to say, I'm a mystic knight, or a Jedi knight, or a Christian knight, or a whatever, whatever, whatever knight, and shirk off that responsibility. Even gray Jedi knights have to have responsibility. So, that's where I start off with this. When it's time to exert force, and there will be a time, whether that force is metaphysical, spiritual, mental, physical, when when it's time, on this path, there will be a time. But when it is time, we must take care not to deviate from the path that we're following, that path of virtue and righteousness. Even when we're in the heat of battle, even when the person deserves every little bit that you can give them, seek justice, but love only mercy. I like that. And I think that that should cover, you know, what it means to be knightly as a mystic. You know, in my own view, I agree with that. Um, if anything, being knightly as a mystic in, increases your responsibility to the amount of power you have because you know that a stray thought is now three thoughts away from a curse. It you really does. That. You're right. That's yeah. a very good point because you're burdened with the knowledge that every single little action, thought, whisper, shout, they all carry the same power. And you can, you can set a person's life on a tailspin with a single word or a single thought. And, it, and it's the, the responsibility weighs heavier, but so does the burden. It, it really does. Great point. I was, uh, and after this, I'm going to be getting into how energy moves in our world, but I was having a discussion with a teacher at the Jedi Praxium on this. And I said, you know, the difference between a curse and the practice spheres that students make is a little bit of ability to make that a little more permanent and the ability to throw some intent into it before you aim it at someone and let it just start wrecking havoc on their life. Literally, curses are not super advanced things. They're not hard to do. Most mystical traditions have more curses that require very little energy work, very little focus, because they, they work off of sympathetic magic and intent. So that brings us then to how does energy move differently in our world from the worlds of the fiction that we may draw inspiration from? Because let's face it, 
we like to draw inspiration from these ideas. And this is going to just be a real quick look look in. But if at any point you would like to toss in on this, Justin, just, you know, run me over because I'm just hitting these real quick because this is not the core of it. So Dungeons & Dragons is the first easiest one. In our world, there are no symbols that have power on their own. You draw a justice symbol, the Tiwa symbol, the arrow, okay? And without you investing something into it, it's a couple lines. If the Tiwa symbol had power on its own, there would be no injustice in the world because the roads are covered in arrows pointing upward. It doesn't have power just because it's a set of lines. It has power because we put power into it. If crosses had power on their own, every schoolhouse would be safe from violence and difficulties because there are more crosses in a math class than anywhere else. Let's face it, the symbols don't have the power. It's what we invest into them. And God's favoring people. Again, D&D, the idea of the cleric, God's favoring people and offering substantially more power to them than what would be gained with just raw focus and intensity of will. Quite frankly, it just doesn't happen that way. Devout faith in which you just believe it in your heart, but don't spend time focusing on that power, don't sit time in communion with it, doesn't really get you anywhere. So this idea that these things provide this power, it's just phenomenally flawed. The real world focus and intensity, the ability to harness your will, your energy, your essence, whatever you want to call it, towards a goal is where the magic comes from. Lord of the Rings. In that, only really chosen ones, the wizards, you know, the uh, basically the angels of their world can use magic but the manifestations are closer to the real world. Magic is very subtle in that. So I'm, I'm going to give them props on that. Magic is very subtle. It's often a movement of things over distance. But even then, it's phenomenally overblown. And that goes for Dungeons & Dragons. It's phenomenally overblown. You know, The idea that spells are stored and then released in D&D, that, that can be done, but it's not the way it's normally done in this world. With the Jedi... There's this idea of a continual focused manipulation of a thing, like telekinesis, is the way in which we manifest energy. It's the way in which we direct it towards a result. So if you were going to do a curse on someone in the Jedi world, in the Star Wars world, it would be a concentrated continual force of will, like strangling someone. But in the real world, First of all, the, the limitations of distance are really big in the Star Wars universe. The further away a target is, the harder it is to use the Force. In the real world, that's not the case. A bit of focus, some direction, manipulation of energy, getting the intent really strong, and then releasing it and letting go of it has the, the benefit and the result of achieving the goal. That's how curses are done. It's how mysticism is done in the real world. So in a lot of ways, in the real world, we have less limitations on our magic, on our mysticism, on our manifestation of this energy than we do in the Star Wars world. We just don't have the big manifestations, like lifting Buicks and throwing them. We don't have the big short-term manifestations, but in terms of distance and the ability to generate fire and forget, we have a lot in that. And the next one's the King Arthur Legends. The King Arthur Legends, you have mystical items. 
those are not very common in this world, and I don't mean stuff made by mystics. I mean like a weapon passed down through a thousand generations that makes someone king. Likewise, we don't have chosen ones in the real world. You don't have people that are born to be king and born to be Merlin and born to be these things. You may be the chosen one in your own story, but you're not the chosen one for the whole world most of the time. There, the, Every once in a while, someone will make a big impact like that, but it's rare. I, I didn't put Harry Potter in here, and I should have, so I'm going to hit that real quick. Again, knowing a set of words and doing a gesture, a, a magical item as an amplifier, while this is part of the systems of magic that we use, it's not just, I said this word, and I waved a wand, and boom, I had the result. That ability to do anything even remotely like that comes from years of focus and intensity and the ability to direct that energy. And at that point, it doesn't matter what the word is. You could be yelling potato, and it has the same force of power as uh, uh, avocado uh, dacabra or whatever it is that they use for the death curse. So. This is the difference between how these fictional worlds work and the real world. I wanted to bring up these different ones because a lot of times when we discuss mysticism, the real world mysticism, we conflate it with these false worlds, these pieces of fiction that we use for inspiration. You know, you get a lot of good ideas from D&D, Lord of the Rings, the Star Wars universe, King Arthur legends and Harry Potter, a lot of good ideas, a lot of good trappings to help you overcome the way your mind works, but they are not the whole of what mysticism is, nor does mysticism work in our world the way it does in those. If it did, it would be bigger and flashier, but it would have greater limitations too. Distance, time, and even the ability to overcome someone else's will would be bigger factors. In the real world, the best shield doesn't exist. There is no perfect shield, and in the real world, Distance means very little, as does time. A curse will wear down on your shields until you respond, either by wiping out the curse and going back to the curse maker and giving them a reason to stop doing it, or until it burns itself out. Either it's met its limit of time or it's met its limit of power. None of these, none of these worlds in fiction work in this way, because it's not flashy, it's not showing, it's not good for the story. I want your thoughts on this, Justin. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't have much to add to that. Although, I, I will say, and, and you kind of said this, but I'll say it again. Every single one of you that hears my voice, you have the power to create worlds and destroy worlds with the power of your voice, power of your thoughts. You need to learn to be impeccable. You need to try and be more impeccable. I fail all the time. I was probably not impeccable when I were at least once or twice today already. So if you want uh if you want some uh, a good reference on that go and read the four agreements. It's a class you could you could find it for free anywhere now nowadays on YouTube you can listen to it. You can find it for free. It's a book I've read and listened to a combined total of I lost count a long time ago. <laughs> so and it it starts off right off the bat. It's it's more geared towards the human mind and the psychology of it. But once you understand that all these things that we think are separated, um, and they're not, the, the mind, the body, the spirit, all these things work in tandem and are plugged into a greater 
a greater source, I'll say. And but I, I have to warn you: once you start learning and understanding these higher concepts, these higher ideas, you're going to be held more accountable, not by me or Charles, but by yourself. Because once you know these things, then you'll have to be responsible to act accordingly. So, and good luck. <laughs> well said, my friend. Well said. Well, that brings us to the end of the first episode on the nightly path and curses and where that fits in. I know this first episode was more of laying the groundwork than it was anything else. These episodes are going to be released back to back, so you can listen to them at your pleasure. I want you all to remember to be kind and good to each other, that even when topics like this are the center focal point, that that happens because we recognize the world is a big place and that we have to sometimes look at the things we don't want to see as much if we're going to awaken the night within.